Welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. Here we are. We're back. There's a little hiatus, but you know, as students, we have busy things going on in our lives. That was probably the busiest week of my life. I of this I year. I had a couple <laughs> nights that I saw the sun rise over the horizon before falling asleep. Yeah. It's weird to fall asleep oh. after the sun is risen and like you watched it set. But you know, I'm all relaxed now. I've cooled off. I've had some naps. And you know, I'm ready to podcast. Well, you said we cooled off. The, the weather is absolutely beautiful now. I, I think we're warming up here. Yeah, I think today's up in the 80s, you know? So, yeah, it feels beautiful. But a couple days ago, I swear it was freezing outside. I was wearing a coat. So right. the we- weather's an interesting thing. Thomas, I want to learn something today. Do you have something to, something to teach me? I have something to teach you that you will see on your daily walks, your daily drives. Ah, it's one of these. It's something you see on the streets, but you might not know what they mean. Have you ever been walking down the street and you look down and you see these yellow lines painting the streets or these white lines or orange lines or green lines or blue lines? But do you know what all those lines mean? We're talking lines in the street? Yeah. Like sprayed down lines by construction companies. Well, I can tell you I have to know what they meant to to get my driver's license. But you know what? There are some lines out there that I'm, I'm, I'm unaware of. Now, you're thinking driving lines. I'm here to talk to you about utility Utility spray paints on the ground. Ah, interesting. I always wonder. I always, always wonder. Are there universal codes for different symbols? Yes, we are here to decrypt the graffiti of the streets. The graffiti of the streets. This is a cool topic. I'm very curious. So the quick quick, uh, Wikipedia summary of what we're talking about is, in a sense, utility location. This is the process of identifying and labeling public utility mains that are underground. These mains include... Telecommunications, your phone lines, electricity distrib- distribution, your Pico, uh, natural gas, cable television, fiber optic, traffic lights, street lights, storm drains, water mains, water pipes, and all the above and below. So, now these are all important because if things are being made or things are changed, you need to mark, hey, if you cut here, you're going to break a gate. Uh, a gas line, and that's no good. Oh, absolutely not. So all these things are color-coded. So yellow, color-coding on the streets, on the sidewalks, that stands for gas utility lines. The yellow line, just a yellow standard spray paint line, right? Yes. That might have writing saying arrows, the line, the pipes go this way, and this is where the pipes are on the line. Gas, yellow. Got it. Now we'll go to orange. Orange is marked off by... Telecommunications. So you're looking at wires under the ground, right? Yes. Okay. So you have your telecommunication lines, your signal lines, cables, conduits. This is like if you have your um, AT&T or your uh, Xfinity or any cable lines, your Verizon that's going underground because they're no longer above ground. Those underground, those are marked on the ground with orange paint, and then they also kind of initial the company that's doing it. Ah, okay. So, yeah, I've seen, seen, I can picture the initials, like a JL or or something. Yes. I can totally picture that. Orange and and red, you said, right? So just red. Orange is telecommunication because red is electric. Ah. So that's normally you see your red lines and then you have your electric lightning bolt going down. That makes sense. The red is caution, the most... One of the most cautious, other than orange. Right. And that will show conduits, lightning cables that come off houses. Now, there's we're not done our rainbow yet. We go through the whole rainbow, too. Do we really? So green, give a guess. 
Well, green, I want to say blue is like for water, and green has to be something, I can't tell you. Green is for sewage. Sewage, okay, that makes sense. Sewage and drains, yeah. Yeah, wow. So, but you're right, blue does stand for the drinking water. Okay, yeah, I think I knew that before. But yeah, I'm going to be out in the street from now on looking for the colors. What else do you have? So there are three more to go through. So purple is more recent one. This is for reclaimed water irrigation and like slurry lines. So any like reclaimed water that like water that goes back into the system via rain garden or something along those lines, that's marked with purple. And then our pink, the only color that's not been used yet in this wonderful rainbow that is used for everything else. Like just to mark stuff for survey. Okay, you know what? Because I've seen a lot of pink, and when you just said we haven't, we don't, we haven't used this yet. But you meant we haven't talked about it yet. Pink, I see all the time. Construction sites, I see it from uh, pin markers when they hammer into asphalt. They mark off pins in like ninety degree angles, I guess, toward directions of where they're going to drill or because grind the road up. Those Definitely are universal. Um, those are survey markings. So when they do surveying, exactly, to mark it because white is proposed excavation roots where so, they're going to dig up so if you have a white box in the ground that shows like this box will be carved up now if you are on temple's campus you saw a couple days ago there was this big bulge in the middle of the road that they're pulling up and that was marked by a yellow line all the way around it so no, ye- a white line a white a line, white line. Of, yeah, yeah i was gonna say yellow is um not electrical yellow is uh yellow is uh no, it, natural gas and natural oil. gas okay yeah yeah. But it wasn't it. White. Okay. Yeah. So all these lines. Now, these are American standards. Australia has some other ones. Canon also. Canada actually follows ours. And they all kind of are based off of it. But other things kind of change. Based on the company, there might be some variation. So it all depends on where it's coming from. Now, these have been used well for as long as we've needed to mark things down, down on the ground. And, you know, you need to have a set system. Because otherwise, could you imagine, like, people thinking, oh, I must ex- excavate here, but it's a gas line? Like, you don't want that going down. No, I know on a lot of job sites I go to, before we dig, um, we have to have the, the clients and customers call the, the state um, uh, drilling, uh, the call before you dig, you know? Call before you dig, or what's know what's below, dig know with what's confidence. Below. And that's very important because you... And even when I'm on jobs and we dig in, we excavate with a machine or something, you you never know what you're drilling into. Even if a line's marked, you have to question, is it exactly where the line is? Can you drill like a foot to the left of it? Or is it going to be right there? Is it going to be that wide? So I knew that there were gas lines and I knew any marking you should you should have um, someone professional come out. And it's actually funny. I was talking to someone in one of my classes and they were like, well, if I wasn't doing the the major I'm doing now, I would do um, archaeology and and kind of historical forensics. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Well, then you would have exciting study abroad type options and your job after would be pretty cool. You go out to dig sites and they're like, well, actually, I'm not doing it because the, the guaranteed job is, is non-existent in that field. And also one of the only jobs that you can get with kind of an archaeological focus is being one of those call before you dig people to, that goes out. So it would just be a bunch of like kind of calls you go out and come back home. That That's, doesn't sound like you're excavating a dinosaur site, no. right? <laughs> There's a lot of these companies, There's, but and they all have clever names. 
Know what's below. Call Dig with confidence. Dial before you dig. Digger's hotline. One call. Miss utility. Dig safe. <laughs> Click before you dig. <laughs> These are funny names. These are all services that uh, allow construction owners and homeowners to uh, contact utility companies to find out what's below the ground. Now, obviously, if you don't do it right, there's fines that can be involved and even criminal charges if the negligence has caused major utility outage or serious accidents. Hitting a water main, could you imagine? Water filling the streets and it's all your fault because you didn't call before you did. And the damage from the water going into houses, whatnot, absolutely awful. So did you know that it's required by law to sign, and it's signed by the FCC, that 811 is the telephone number for this purpose across the United States. You Do you call 811? Yeah, it's 811. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. That's the, that's the government program yes. behind it, yeah. I was going to say, those other companies are, are kind of like aftermarket companies, right, that started. And, and I'm wondering what years those became popularized to start. Like, oh, there's so much money because so many construction workers or landscapers were dying from hitting electrical cables or, or gas lines for damage. I wonder what years that came about that were like, well, we can start companies that people have to legally kind of call before you can dig. Yeah, you have to check. But hey, be safe, and now you can decode the streets. I think Yeah, the, the rainbow, the rainbow of the streets, decode the graffiti. I, I think like that. that's pretty good. So, Matt, what do you have to the table for today? Well, this past week was a very uh, Espanol-focused week, Spanish. Spanish for you, finals. For you gringos, Spanish finals. So I was doing a, a big research project on um, something related to um, the Latin America or um, South America specifically. So I was studying a group called the Las Calahuayas. So have you ever heard of that? No, I have Sounds not. Sounds pretty ancient, right? Sounds pretty yeah. Hispanic. So these guys were healers, ancient healers, but they weren't just like regular medicinal men, women healers. They were the best and they still are really well known. So this goes back as early as the the 400s. The 400s? Yes. And if I told you they were doing surgery as early as the year 400, brain surgery, open brain surgery, trephination. Have Have you ever heard of trephination? When they like cut off? When they... They literally drill into your skull and they can remove parts of it or even go into your brain to do cerebral surgery. So they were doing this on people without any anesthesia or any painkillers. They would just go into these people. So do you have any any idea of why they might have started doing surgery in the first place? Like, was it curiosity? I think there is the curiosity about the human body. Exactly. There was the human body. So they had these other practices such as um, deformation of skulls. Have you seen ancient skulls? And a lot of the the shows like Ancient Aliens have like skulls that they uncover from tombs that are all misshapen and like, well, how'd this skull get here? Well, they obviously have proven that the skulls are human skulls, but they just would practice methods where they would tie cloth to their heads as, as infants. And as they grew up, the head would just kind of naturally mold into that. You know how your head is soft when yeah. you're a baby? It would mold into that shape. And they there are many reasons, but it's unclear why they did it, which is why the ancient aliens are all over that. It was religious purposes, you know, just um, another way of identifying a culture to differentiate them from other cultures. Also, it was, as the ancient aliens say, trying to look like what the aliens look like. 
<laughs> or, yeah. or gods in their case. Trying to represent their alien gods. Exactly. So anyway, this group, Las Calahuaya, they were located in um, the, the Andy Mountains in, in Bolivia. So they also, not only did they conduct surgery, but they also knew um, diseases before anyone else, before the Europeans. We normally picture the Europeans having the best medical practices that they brought over to the New World when, like, the conquistadors brought their, their ships, you know, Christopher Columbus and everyone. But they knew about, um, an example is malaria. They knew about it in um, the year 700, so way they were before. Well they, yeah. were well, they didn't know what it was exactly called, but they knew that it was spread by mosquitoes, and they knew that uh, preventing mosquito bites would save you from it. So normally picture people... Normally, people picture um, indigenous groups hidden in the in the jungles of the Amazon to be kind of isolated and very basic, but these groups were actually far far advanced because they just took basic everyday necessities and turned them into their regular practice. So if people were getting sick, they're like, "Well, if you eat this plant, you can definitely um, be healed quickly and, and live a longer life." So these people would live forever, and in fact, they they're still living today, and many people. Um, Go to them even to this day if they have doc if doctors say your disease is incurable, people will go to these these ancient medicine men and women also it's a men and women society that that do the healing and they can try to give you natural remedies to cure even the most you know devastating forms of cancer. You just have to go find them. Right, it's not like a hotline. It's not a hotline, and and they're immersed in um in urban and rural cultures so they're kind of everywhere throughout south america they go up to up to central america in panama um so how we found out about the calawaya was there's a tomb called the tomb of the medicine man hombre de medicina oh, is the spanish med- they, medicine man yes so in his tomb there was a bunch of like apparatus that he would use such as syringes scapels made of stone and they had dna on it and they're like well what is this guy doing with all this and and why is it so ancient another thing to note was the tomb was so well preserved they were like well what did they do similar to like a mummy tomb in egypt so i asked you earlier also why they might do the trephination the, the brain surgery and you said maybe um to learn to learn yeah. yeah they were curious about the body but they also did it because there was at the time they they as time progressed, there was the Incan Empire, right. and there was a lot of battles in the area. So they would get a lot of um, head injuries with trauma, and the Incan soldiers would, would bring each other to these healers or bring them even with them into battle. And if they had swelling on their head, they would literally just like cut it open, drain the fluid, and, and do whatever ever, ever they can to keep them going, even though they didn't have like a, a set method like we do today. Like doctors know exactly what to do if there's a problem, you know? Yeah. They would just kind of on the spot do it with whatever tools they had. Now, it sounds kind of rudimentary to say, like, you pick up a stone and you do surgery with it. They did have a set practice uh, of, of different techniques, and that's called, like, a pharmacopoeia. You so they did have some rule, like some rules and regulations back in the day. They did, and they had it all written down. And eventually, when people um, would visit the Kalawai in like the 20th century, so in the 1970s, their pharmacopoeia was actually published. Oh, and so they have a bunch of methods. And before that, people were like, "No, there was it was kind of a, it's kind of a trend thing because pe- some people believe in holistic medicine, natural remedies. Other people believe in modern science, technology to save them." 
So before kind of the mid-1900s, people were like, no way, they're crazy. And then they pu- published their work, and then people were like, well, there's side effects, like you can get cancer from all this radiation, whatever. So people were kind of going back to it. Back to the holistic side of medicine. Exactly. So today in modern times, um, there's debate on who who has kind of copyright of their pharmacopoeia. Who, whose is it? Because there's so little of the culture left over. If you look up Kalawai as a language, that I think the statistic, it's like the second most endangered language in the world. And it's maybe 10, 10 people are native speakers, I think is the statistic. That's just like a, gu- a group of friends knowing a language together. Exactly. So it's like nine of your other buddies speaking your own language in the whole entire world. That's an important thing to keep in our culture, in their culture. In their culture, yeah. So the culture hasn't been lost. It's definitely on the verge of extinction, but it's also very relevant because some many of their methods were based on survival, and they came up with it, and it worked, and it's all natural. And honestly, Thomas, if you get an incurable disease, I'd probably take you down there, see what they can do. And what's interesting about all these people is it shows that even though uh, cultures and societies were growing across the world, people were also all running in parallel with one another. Because even though these, uh, what were the name? Kalawaya? Kalawaya. Yeah. Kalawaya. Uh, even though the Kalawaya in South Africa, South America. South America. Um, even though they were doing their practices, their studies, understanding medicine, also in Africa, there was people trying to do the same. And in all the other countries in Europe as well, they were also developing, and in Asia. So all these cultures and all these societies, they see the problem of like malaria and like how to identify situations and that we all kind of run in parallel with one another. And then nowadays that everything's interwoven, it's almost like one world's culture of medicine and then all the others are thrown off to the side. So it's an, I think it's important to keep these Kalawaiian, this Kalawaiian culture of natural healing because, hey, the magic man... Is looking out for you. Yeah, he was since since the years of four hundred. He's been there the whole entire time. That's pretty remarkable because it's one thing you never really hear too much about South American culture in the history books here, which is a bummer because there's a lot of culture down there. The Incans were one of the most advanced civilizations. You even go to Mexico, the Aztecs. You know, yeah, all those empires were as big as kind of the Roman Empire but on this side of the world. Pretty crazy. Just because they're not American, like the descent of European Westerners. Yeah, white, white blood. Yeah, they kind of get tossed off to the wayside. But hey, they have their place in their books, in our history, I believe so. And the culture loved them because there was once a story that they paved a pathway through the Andes Mountains so the Incan empire or not just the incans but people could pass through the mountains and the incans use their use their roads so much that they love them so the the leader of the kalawaya tribe or group was actually rewarded by the incan empire king with uh kind of a a group of men that would carry him around on like a little on a little chair and that was his reward so he just got to kind of ride around like royalty isn't that funny that's pretty funny that's a pretty good gig right there you've ever seen like the the emperor's new groove yeah have you seen that and he's and what's his name carrying in the little the the little little box the little box that's basically what they did (laughs) those were the days yeah so before we leave this episode uh, I we just want to thank our reoccurring sponsor of all flower all Flower is the lovely service that when times are tough in your garden, 
the winter's hitting hard or that rabbit just got the munchies late last night. They come, they clean up the whole yard, they put in the new flowers, and it's like nothing happened. Yeah, all flower. And with the lovely weather, you might not be worried. You set your guard down on your plants. You think they're doing well. April showers bring May flowers. You're wrong. That bunny could eat all of your flowers in one night. I, you know the bunnies are out there. You know the squirrel is scheming in the corner. Those deer across that fence, they're thinking of ways into the yard. Protect your flowers. And with the coming season, we are here to pr- promote their uh, their new special, uh, their fruit and veggie special. Absolutely, with, yeah. With your new, f- with spring coming along, you got your fruits going, you got your new tomato plants planted, the cucumbers are growing in the back, they're getting their sun. Don't forget the zucchini. But you don't want... There's little critters coming over and eating your fruits and veggies. All flower. You might as well call it all vegetable, flower, plant, tree, shrub. Every, it's everything. They're looking out for you. So check out All Flower today. Reach them at uh, allflower.com. Yeah, and insert the word uh, Two Top Podcast to get your uh, free quote on your yard. But I think, Matt, I think that's a conclusion to episode 59. 59. 59. We learned a lot today. Yeah. I, I can tell you, I did not know any of the any of the colors. And now I'm going to go outside, walk on the street and say, yep, that is a blue one. That is a green one. It's like, oh, watch out. Power line right there. Sewer. Don't step on the sewer. Or you see that you're a little white box in the ground. It's like, well, this won't be here tomorrow because no. someone's going to come and rip it up. I'm not going to sleep on this spot of ground. No, no, no. But all right, guys. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another episode in next week's Two Topics. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg and produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and join us next week for another Two Topics.